Absolutely. Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour, your host here on the future of sport here on All in Sports Talk. I think I probably need to take a slight pause. Very special show today. It is, in fact, my own 20th show since we launched last September. And to mark the occasion, I'm really privileged and proud to be able to introduce Dr. Bill Sutton, who's the course director for the um, Sport Management and Entertainment Programme at the University of South Florida. So I just really want to make uh, a general comment, I suppose. Bill is a very, very good colleague and friend of mine. After many years, we first got associated about five or six years ago. I want to ask you, Bill, maybe for my audience, just talk generally about where it all began for you in the world of sport business and sport business education. Sure. Um, I was, uh, I had moved around, I'd done some sales, I had done some counseling, I had done some uh, recreation work, and decided that if I was going to get into sport business, as a profession, I needed to go back to graduate school. So I went back to Oklahoma State to do a master's degree. And at the same time I was at Oklahoma State, I worked my way through school as, as a start off as a program director at the Stillwater Family YMCA in Oklahoma, in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And while I'm there, I find out that your funding is totally dependent upon your ability to generate revenue. So there's not like a big check that comes and says, okay, spend this money. So I think I, I think at the time the budget for the whole Y was about a quarter million dollars. This is back in 1978, right? And the budget for the, the programming job that I was going to do was going to be about seventy thousand dollars. So I was going to generate seventy thousand dollars. So I got into it, and I had to do a budget like the first month I was there. And I looked at the opportunity, I looked what I saw, and I submitted a budget of almost one hundred eighty thousand dollars that I was going to bring in. Right. And they all looked at me like I was crazy, and I said, no, I think I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> and so we did, and then, you know, by the time I left Allen, the program budget was over a million dollars. And we had, I had just done some things like finding a niche, you know, that the old book, the, like one of my favorite books is uh, Positioning by Reason Trout. Right, yeah. And there's a chapter, chapter in it that says, fill the hole, find the hole and fill the hole. So I created a child, a child care program taking advantage of the facilities at the YMCA, and it was brilliant. It, it, it was a very great opportunity and did a lot of things. Now, at the same time, I'm going to graduate school, and I'm doing my master's degree, and I'm content with my master's degree, but I'm there. I finished my master's degree. I said, well, you know what? I'll, I'll start a Ph.D. I'll start my doctorate, and I did, but I was doing it for me. I had no intention of what I was going to do with it. About halfway through the doctoral program, one of my professors says, have you ever thought about teaching? Hmm. And I said, no, never gave it a thought. And she goes, I think you'd be very good at it. You should think about it. I said, okay, and I went and thought about it, and uh, lo and behold, I changed my, my emphasis and went into teaching. My first job in teaching was at Robert Morris College in Pittsburgh, and so I taught there for four years, and I moved on to the Ohio State University for four more years, and they gave me eight years, and after eight years, Alan, I looked myself in the mirror one day, and I said, you really know what you're talking about. You're <laughs> teaching all these students and you're telling them what to do, and you're helping them find jobs. But do you I really understand it? So I, I left Ohio State, and I was going to go to the University of South Carolina, 
But I took a job instead as a vice president of a sport marketing company in St. Louis, Missouri, called Del Wilburn Associates. I spent three years as a vice president there, figured out I did know what I was talking about, and I was pretty good at what I was doing. So I decided it was time to go back. Missed the teaching, missed the students. So I went to UMass. I spent uh, nine years in total at UMass. But after seven years, I had a sabbatical coming up. And uh, I luckily ended up, and it just I had written a letter to Commissioner Stern right. saying that I have a sabbatical coming up. I'd love to come and work for you. And he brought me in for an interview, and we hit it off, and I spent the next seven years at the NBA. And that was a game changer, Alan. It changed how I thought about things. It changed how I taught my classes. It changed my curriculum. It changed everything. And since that time, after I left the NBA, I started my own consulting practice. Went to the University of Central Florida for nine years. And now I've been at the University of South Florida starting my sixth year. I mean, so it's yeah, sorry. a lot of change. I, I'm, I'm just so reluctant almost I can just sit back here and let it all flow and I'm sure my audience is the same but clearly I, I just wanted to make a couple of points there's so many segues that I could come back at you here but first and foremost here this is a story this is a narrative of success and perseverance persistence belief and all the things that me and you Bill and I think most of the reasons why uh, we get along so famously is that that is a great trait to bestow almost or as, as part of teaching and learning with all of our students. And I'm so almost in awe of lots of the things you say, and I say that in humility almost. But, you know, I'm reminded you quoted Reese and Trout, who uh, as authors, you know, the death of advertising almost and the rise of PR. But Tom Peters was always someone I looked up to, and I could say this to pursuit of wow, because obviously your career uh, is, is kind of almost following uh, this pathway. Let me try and put some more, um, I, I suppose, put some more uh, information into what you are doing now currently. Um, why do you think sport business education is so, so important in the business of sport today, Bill? You know, Alan, I, I think it's important because you have to understand the uniqueness of sport and the demands of sport. And I, I usually start off by telling my students, you know, you're getting an MBA and you're getting an MS and you want to work in sport. I said, remember this, you work where other people play and you work when they play. So if you're a fan, this might not be exactly what your cup of tea that you have to understand that you're that you're working and other people are, are playing and you have to be comfortable with that. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with it. Right. And I tell them all the time, I said, you know that the sport industry doesn't pay as well as the banking industry. So I tell my students, maybe you want to interview with a bank and see how much money they're willing to pay you and then you can buy tickets and be just be, be a fan. But if you really want to work, it's a lot of hard work. It's a climb. It's a, a job where the, the jobs really aren't advertised. You have to find them, and you work hard, and you're promoting. You probably have to move around a lot. Yeah, there are some things there, but but when you're good at this job, it's a great job. It's a great job, and you know. You, but you understand. You have to understand that you know that whether you have bills to pay or whether your team wins or loses, you have bills to pay. Yeah, and you can't make an excuse that well we're not winning, so we don't have any money coming in. 
you have to figure out other ways to generate revenue. You've got to hire really good talent all the time. You've got to have a real sales mentality to succeed in this business. You know, even if you're not directly involved in selling the product, you're still selling your ideas, you're selling the organization. So I, I always emphasize to the students that you, you've got to be sales, you have to have sales acumen. I mean, Bill, I, I, I really would like to pick up on that because I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And a couple of points is that you've already made comment on and, and, and my pathways and my similarities with you, there, there are lots of synergies there. I mean, you made the comment that you wrote to the commissioner and said, I'd come and like to work with you. That's not an arrogant statement. That is actually going for the unadvertised job. I say exactly the same to my students. Believe in your ability, find what you want to do, look at that and work your way towards that and you'll be rewarded because as you've rightly said it's a great job to have and once you recognize that you'll become better at it and you'll start to do the things that matter could you tell students of mine or the audience because one of the things i often comment on in my show and in my lectures and lots of things that i've done there are differences in terms of culture maybe differences in approach and the focus that you've mentioned you've got to be involved in sales you've almost got to be good at sales i don't necessarily think our people and some of our colleagues in my industry as it were in in sports practice and certainly in sports education see the necessity to have that as a modular or a curricular thing tell us a little bit more on why sales is so important built in sport business it's where, the, it's where the abundance of jobs are right the abundance of opportunities are in sales so it's either generating revenue or retaining revenue but i mean that's where that's really where it is and you know nothing starts until something's sold I mean, you can have a great marketing idea, but what are you marketing? You're marketing tickets, you're marketing sponsorships, you're marketing the organization. You're really selling. You're really having to work with the salespeople. So you need to be a great marketing person. You still have to understand sales. I would not want to have a marketing person working for me that didn't understand sales because I need them to be able to generate the leads and generate the interest and generate the response that I need to be able to do the sales portion of it. So you can look at any job with the exception of being the basketball coach or the, you know, or the physical development person for the sport. But almost anything on the business side, you're supporting sales. That's why it's so important. Can you tell us also, Bill, a little bit about the origins of... I've been over to the University of South Florida a couple of times. I've taken my students there. I've seen your lecture series. We've, we've obviously become involved in conferences and the like. Tell us a little bit about how you recruit your students, what you're looking for, and what they can expect on the two-year program, the, the classic MBA and the, and the internship program on the Masters. Let me give you a little background how it originated. The program was not created by the university. Okay. The program... The, the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is an NHL franchise, Mr. Jeff Benick is the owner, and Steve Griggs and Todd Lewicki, who worked for him, came to the university with an idea that they wanted to create a program in Tampa that would generate talented salespeople, talented sales professionals, talented sports professionals that would come and as part of their curriculum, they would work at the Lightning for part of the time that they're in school. They would be able to work on problems that the Lightning faced and also be able to take what they were learning in the classroom and bring it to the lightning and enlighten people and show people other ways of doing things. That was the concept. 
And that's the concept I bought into. Right. So when we came here, the idea was that we would create this two-year program, an MBA and an MS, but it would be very heavily experiential learning-based so that during the second year, the students would work in, you know, some people might call it an internship. We use the term residency. Right. Or like what a doctor would do because we put it on a higher level so that every student in the program would have a residency during the second year. Ten of them in the Lightning committed to ten students at the Lightning. So we went out to the other teams in the area, the other organizations, and came up with a total of 30 of these residencies. The other thing that I've always been committed to, Alan, is controlling the expenses. Right. Making sure that a student that comes here gives up two years of their life can afford to take the job that's offered. So the idea was that they would have one year of financial commitment for tuition, and the second year would be paid for through the residency. And that's what we've done. So this, this two-year program, they pay tuition for one year, and the second year it's picked up due to their residency. So they, they leave here. The, the goal was they would leave here with a year's work experience before they ever went out and looked for a job. Since that time, we've decided to help the incoming students in year one find part-time work no tuition waiver, but they still pay tuition, but a part-time job for 20 hours a week. And we've been very successful with that. So now our students are basically with two years' experience. So we, we have a real good understanding of what the industry is looking for, and we put it in our curriculum, and we create these experiential learning packages, and the results have been really, really good. You know, we're all about placement. We're all about student success. And we're all about helping our partners get the best students. I mean, in terms, Bill, I mean, it's just a marvellous success story. And, you know, let's face it, competitively, distinctively, the world of sport, you know, it resonates clearly with, you know, the winners and the successful people. Apart from all of those things, obviously, that come into a sport business package, as it were, what else do you think a programme like this offers to your students? I'm perhaps thinking not so much outside the classroom, but maybe in a social or a, a cultural sense or a lifestyle sense for the future. In a cultural sense, Alan, what we're, what we're deciding now, what I've decided, and you know this because we're coming to see you. Absolutely. I've decided that it's essential in 2017 for students to understand global. Yeah. How, how the, global, the global sports environment works. And to do that, you have to understand that it's not just a language issue, it's a cultural issue. If you don't understand how the culture works in a particular country, you're not going to be affected. You're not going to understand it, and you're not going to be affected. And so what I'm trying to do, and this will be the first time we've done this, we're trying to bring our students over to let them see that, yes, you work in the United States. Is sport marketing more evolved in the United States? Yes. But it doesn't mean it's the only, the U.S. way is the only way to do something. And you have to understand there are things, if, if we could go back in the time machine and change some things about sport marketing in the U.S., we would do it. But, you know, we learn from where we've evolved, and sometimes you can't go back. But there's also some things that, you know, when I go to a, a different country and I go to a sporting event, the passion that I see at a sporting event, like I say, I go see England versus France in rugby. Yeah. Those are two universities, those are two countries that fought for 600 years. So the pride in the nationalism and the rivalry is so genuine, so much more intense, that in pro sports in the U.S. we really don't have that. You have it at, you know, for certain people, but not to the degree that they see it. So I want my students to understand that that, that exists outside the Olympics. It's, it's big, it's important. 
people have a real sense of pride in where they're from. And sports was the first way to really take that pride in place and demonstrate it. So that's what I want the students to learn. I also want them to understand, Alan, that a sports team, if they're working for a sports team, they have an obligation to give back to the community. They're taking money out of the community. How about putting some of that back in? So what we call community investment. Learn about community investment. And so we have a great example of Mr. Minnick and the Lightning, who's he's probably the best owner I've ever seen. He puts he gives away fifty thousand dollars every Tampa Bay Lightning game to a different nonprofit. That's over two million dollars a year that he's investing back in the community. I've never seen anybody do it to that level. I don't know if I'll ever see a lot of people do it to that level, but I want to tell you, for hockey to be the number one sport in Tampa, Florida, it has it's due in large part to this ownership and his view of the importance of the community and grassroots marketing. In terms, Bill, of, I mean, again, it is, it's just inspiring. I can't think of an, another word to, uh, to actually uh, associate with lots of the comments that you're already making. But if you were looking at your students today, how much influence do you think they're going to have in this spread of the global message in terms of sport business? What kind of trends, if you like, or what kind of themes for the future do you think that the new breed almost or the new brigade of sports students can offer? Well, given the importance of social media in our world right now, yeah. and that's never going to go away, it's easy to touch people around the world. I think there are going to be other things that happen, Alan, like, you know, I think that virtual reality, once it's fine-tuned, yeah. is going to make a big impact. Let me give you an example. I mean, right now, virtual reality is not common because it's not convenient. I mean, yeah. you're taking your phone and you're putting it in a box and putting it on your head. Yeah. That's not what people are going to do. But once virtual reality evolves to the point where the dissemination is a pair of sunglasses and you can sit, you don't have any wires and you can move the buttons on your headset and get different views, that's a game changer. Yeah. So if I wanted to be, say I, was, I lived in the U.S. and I was a big EPL fan and I can watch it on TV but I really can't experience it, right? right? I don't know what it's like. So I could I could actually have a virtual reality experience where I was sitting in the stands with the Aunt McMahon U people, and I could be part of that. That would change the whole way I see things, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I talked to the Golden State Warriors, as popular as that team is. I said, in my estimation, if virtual reality was effective, you could sell a half a billion season tickets for virtual views where people could be in their home, but in the arena watching the game from the, from the sidelines or watching it from the point guard perspective. So I think technology and VR and social media and everything can really impact things. So making sure my students understand that. In fact, Alan, I tell my students all the time, I said, there's 30 of you in this class. 20 of you will work at something that has not even been invented or discovered yet. So you have to be prepared. You have to be as good as you can be at what you do and be able to adapt to what's coming next. I mean, again, it's just so great. We can keep segueing in. I just don't want the interview uh, to end, but, you know, sadly, I'm going to have to. We've got about 10 or 15 minutes left anyway, Bill. But when I when you now talk, I mean, I know how big uh, uh, a success it is, you know, 100% employability or whatever, and going on to get jobs as soon as they all graduate. The program's been running now for four or five years, has it? We 
starting year six. Okay, year six. Well, that, that's how quickly it goes. You've clearly got some great success stories from your alumni, and I know you, Bill. You're very much like me. I'm going back to my own graduation students who came over um, to Florida in 2015. They're graduating this year, and I know they'll send their best regards, and I'm going to see them next week. We keep in touch. What kind of success stories, or are there any good examples, maybe, of some of the newer types of influence, or newer types of jobs, yeah. some of these students have given in the six years you've known them? Okay, I think Ryan was one of my grad students when you were here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan now is the director of the Innovation Lab for the Philadelphia 76ers. Wow. And I mean, so you're looking at the, Alan, you're looking at bringing in businesses and you're an incubator. Yeah. That, that you're not necessarily working for the 76ers, but this is one of their business, this is one of their arms of their business. And so look at the two years she's the director of, this is showing your second year as director of the Innovation Lab. They've got five clients. They work on different different aspects of, you know, they have an eSports client. Um, I, I just think that, you know, I've got students that have done, I've got a student that's uh, the executive, and it, 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 they, forget what her title is now, but she's been at the Magic now for two years. Yep. Starting her third year, and she's designing, helping design the entertainment complex for the, uh, for the for the magic, their, their downtown complex. I mean, just if you're talented and you have a skill, and, and the skill Alan is the ability to think. Okay. Yeah. Think. So how do you think? You need you need you need influences to influence how you think. You need to read. You need to immerse yourself in technology. You need to experiment. You need to see what you can be. And the more valuable you can make yourself, the more opportunities you're going to have. But just the, the days of having one job, Alan, for 30 years, those are gone. Absolutely. You know, I think if you work in this industry, you're going to have no less than five jobs over 30 years. Okay. You know, that's, that's what you're going to have. And you've got to be prepared to deal with that. I mean, you're going to work, maybe you're working in football, and then you're working in baseball, then you're working in basketball, then you're working for a sports commission. You're going to go where opportunity presents itself. Bill, can you tell me as well, because I know a lot of my uh, peers here, a lot of my students, a lot of the people I've interviewed on shows uh, that I've been running for the last uh, nine months now, talk about what kind of curricula you have in, 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 in the American MBA and the American uh, internship or residency program that you have. What emphasis do you put on things like academic pursuit or research or some of the case studies that, that, that you do? Tell us a little bit about that, perhaps, Bill, if you could. I, I would say, Alan, that, that, that our areas of emphasis for this program are analytics, okay, social media, and marketing and market research. Okay. But we do it in a context of, again, experiential learning. So last year in our marketing research course, Dr. Harrell taught a course where the output was a study of the Baltimore Ravens season ticket holders. Right. Well, the class was compensated to do that, which is always nice because it helps with our expenses. Yeah. But they were working with real people, real data, making real recommendations. That's kind of, that's kind of the way we like to teach here. Yeah. That's what we like to do. In my marketing class, uh, we have, we have a, a creative project and we have a more research-based project. So the creative project was for Fox Sports, we had to develop a tune-in campaign to increase viewership 
for the uh, Florida Panthers hockey team. Right. So the class is divided up in five groups. They compete, and then Fox chooses the most successful concept, and the class is then gets to work with Fox to put to make it a reality. So the theme that the class, that group in the class generates, becomes the actual ad campaign. That's a great way to learn. The other project we had, and this is one, Alan, that we were all way outside our comfort zone, is the 76ers have, they purchased an esports team called Team Dignitas. Right. We had to create sponsorship platforms for an esports franchise. And none of my students were that in, that in, that had that much of an understanding of esports. So we had to learn about esports. We had to learn about the market. We learned about the opportunities. And it was much, much different than anything they've ever done. But I tell you, it was a great learning experience. So in terms of cases, Alan, we pretty much create our own cases. I mean, we look at other things, but we end up creating cases. And so the next class will learn from the previous class and what they've done and build upon that. So it's a really interesting way of doing things. But I couldn't do a lot of those things if I wasn't in a market like Tampa. Yeah. If I didn't, if I, if I wasn't active in the industry, to have the contacts to get people to give us these projects, which kind of makes not only you unique, Bill. Again, no patronage here whatsoever, but also the quality of the students. And I'm, you know, you can't do anything without the students. Let the students dictate. Sometimes let them be free, and the creative and the commitment and all the other things, you know. It all follows through, and that's absolutely crucial to what we're doing. And the other element that I do that I don't think very few people would be comfortable doing is that I have whoever the client is, I have them come in and help grade the projects. Right. So the students have to present to somebody that's in the industry. And what that results in is people being hired by the client because they're already familiar with it. They've done a project for the client. The client liked the project. It's an audition. And there's nothing better and more effective than an audition for employment. I mean, equally as well, Bill, again, agreement all all around. I wanted to come on, and we'll come to some summations in a minute, but kind of working on this basis, let the students take the initiative, do something. I know that you've done some conferences where the students have taken the lead, an analytics conference I think the students put on uh, and have done for the last few years. Uh, I've got some students here who are very keen and interested in that aspect and may well we can talk at another time when you come over here uh, in November, but we can probably look maybe to do some collaborations with you at the next one. But tell us a little bit about the background to that and what's taken place in your analytics conferences that the students run? When I first came to USF, we didn't have an analytics course at UCF. I decided that that a social media course and an analytics course were critical. We were going to stay contemporary. So we put in an analytics course and we work with, we have an instructor of record that also works with a couple practitioners. So the students work with real data to understand how how this, how data-based decision making takes place, and that was that was the key. Now we had the course before the MBA department, the MBA program had the course, and so since we've had a course, the MBA department is the MBA program has now added another course in analytics. So that is now the prerequisite for our analytics course, and then we have the conference. So we have three ways of teaching analytics, plus the residencies, 
and students either work for a team or they work for the casino and learn all about customer analytics and customer data and how to make data-driven decisions in, from it. And that's that's never going to change. You know, like yeah. Ten years ago, nobody had a, a business intelligence or a data analytics team in sports. Mm-hmm. It was everybody outside of sports and industry had it. But now we've gone from uh, we might have a team with three people up to a team with ten people in analytics and, and business intelligence. I mean, it's really, it's really data-driven. Right. And, and if you don't, you know, and I tell students all the time, you do not have to understand how to run the, the regressions on the data. Yeah. But you do have to understand what the data means and how to use the data. So if you don't have the technical skill, you yeah. better have the intellectual skill. I mean, that, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. And at my conference last year and the one that was coming up that we're all going to be involved in here at the University of Worcester in November, Fiona Green, who's the CEO of Winners, uh, and does a lot of data work. Now, she said exactly the same thing to students. It might not be your bag. It might not be something that you're very comfortable with actually understanding all the data, but how you actually use it and interpret it and do it on behalf of your clients and those people that you come in, into contact with. a lot of things, Alan. If you're, yeah. you're going to lead an organization, there's going to be times when you're going to employ a consultant. Yeah. You understand what to do with the information the consultant gives you. So it's, you have to you have to have a broad understanding of all of the elements of your organization, whether you can physically do them yourself or not. Yeah. But you need to understand them because you can't make good decisions without understanding them. So you've got to, You can't be in a cocoon. You have to spread your wings and, and, and be involved, be immersed in your organization if you're going to be a leader. I think, Bill, if I can, mindful of my. Um, timetable and, and, and scheduling here for the show I just want to bring some closure summations one of the big things it's almost bringing it back to where we began we talked about social and cultural influences we're going to do this conference we're going to have a global sport business festival here in the UK 9th of November through to the uh, 15th, 16th and more of that will be discussed on my show and in the future and uh, watch this space almost but I know yourself, you've cultivated not only with me, the University of Northampton and one or two other things that we've done together you've developed some very meaningful partnerships, not only in Tampa and in the US but globally as well, can you tell us a little bit about those and where you're going with some of your partnerships perhaps in December, I was in Korea, Seoul, Korea, working with the Korean Baseball League. Wow. And last month, in, well, in May, I went to Beijing, and I taught a two-day class with Chinese sports executives from a, a number of different walks of life. Yeah. I worked for Armani in Italy. I worked with the Italian Basketball Leagues. I just, I, what, I, what I find, Alan, is that the problems are fairly common. They're fairly similar. The approaches are what have to be different. Like you can't sell basketball in the U.S. the way you sell basketball in Italy. Italy has to be much more grassroots function, much more hands-on, much more event-driven. You're not going to pick up the phone in Italy and call somebody and ask them to buy tickets. It's not going to happen. How would they do? It's foreign to the culture, as we talked about. Absolutely. So the more the more relationships that I can build, the different things that I can see, the different uh, opportunities I can embrace the more effective I am and the more beneficial it is to my students that I've seen these things. I mean, I couldn't think, Bill, of a more appropriate, and it's only a stopping point 
you know yeah. uh, it, it's certainly not goodbye and farewell and we're just going to hold this moment partnerships culturally socially and obviously commercially and business wise are, are what we're what what we're all about but the fact that my show is called the future of sport we've been brilliantly touching upon that in today's short sadly short interview bill but in the future and the future of sport i think we've opened up much debate great discussion real privilege to have you on my show uh, now, this let afternoon let me bill give you a last a last thought a last image to place in your mind will do okay talk about the future yeah the future of sport is going to be very heavily esport based and esport is going to be seen as a disruptor to all the current forms of the stick and ball and spectator sports we have right now because again esports involves not just basketball but fantasy sports like league of legends where you can play the game a thousand times and have a thousand different outcomes and a thousand different things can happen to you and i tell people all the time the day that esports marries vr and your arm is going to be tired because you were swinging a sword and you're going to be sweating because a dragon breathed on you, and you're going to be wet because you crossed a river. That's going to be, pose a lot of problems for the current sport organizations that cannot do that, that can't appeal to that mind. I mean, the millennials and the centennials now are doing things that we've never done before, and if we think we're going to captivate their imagination the way we've done it for the last 40 years, we're sadly mistaken. So we have to take into account where this is going and how it's, how it's going. We have to be open to any new ideas and experiences that we can have. We need to be sponges. Bill, I'm holding that thought. I know my audience will hold that thought. I know people I'm working with. And we'll be sharing much of that. You'll be sharing platforms with some of the people um, that I know are very heavily involved here in the UK, here in Europe, and hopefully globally as well across the uh, across the pond, as it were, in things like esports, and certainly, uh, you know, in the arena, as it were, of disruption. And uh, and I totally agree with those thoughts as well. I'm going to say farewell for the moment, Bill. Many thanks for this afternoon. And we'll be back again in touch very soon. Dr. Bill Sutton, thank you very much. Thank you, Alan. I look forward to seeing you in November.